I personally see, learn the best by when I see a picture, I can burn that into my head, and then from that picture, I can tack facts onto that picture. That's how my brain works. But you should try to figure out which one you learn the best by. And we'll start from there. All right, so we also go around the room because I believe in the Socratic method. We mock each other. No, you won't forget. No, but uh, this is a, uh, one that was not on my test, but has been on the in-service before. And actually, all these that I picked have been on the in-service at some point. So, 65-year-old female comes in because she's totally concerned that she's having a stroke. This is a very common complaint. You, you laugh. You'll, you'll see this. They come in there completely freaked out. Key historical factors. Asymptomatic. No symptoms. They look fine. And uh, for those that have been around here enough times, this could also be when you have just finished residency and you go to a bachelor party and have too much to drink and decide to throw up, and then you take your wedding pictures and have to look one way because the other side of your eye was blown. Won't mention who did that, but uh, yeah. So with that being said, what is this? Yeah, this is a plain old subconscious. Now, variances though, if this was starting to raise up though, what would you start to think about? It close. You're going to just have increased pressure behind the eye. It can be from infections. It can also be from pressure. It's, the term will be heaping or weeping. I think it's heaping chemosis. You have basically venous dilatation, some force pushing it outward. That's one thing to think about was if it's raised up. Oh, yeah, if it's raised up or tra tra trauma. All right, funny that Rod should pose this one. <laughs> so you have a classic story will be a patient who comes in here, diabetic, who has, yeah, diabetic classic for this. Um, sodium on the, sodium might be 128. White counts up. What do you think this is, Rod? Uh, 20 is gangrene. Okay. And what is this a variant of? Perfectly done. That's exactly what this is. So remember, this is a variant of it. Therapy is going to be bright lights and cold steel. Actually, we'll cut this out. They'll take actually your testicle, actually cut a small slit in your leg to put in there until it all heals back up. Because really, it's all the skin, the scrotum gets nailed. Not, not good stuff. Pam. New Yorker, one day of right facial pain, sorry, right facial weakness. All right, so what does this look like, or what is this firstly, and then what is, Pam's already done the nice thing of on the test, they'll do what's called a double jump. They'll say, what is this, and what is, or they won't even say, what is this, is what bug you need to be concerned about. But what does this look like first? Bell's palsy. Classically, you will have, when they close their eyes, the eye will turn upward and outward, enter two-thirds of the tongue, becomes numb. They may also have a slight bit of pain in their ear sometimes. I'm trying to think if there's one more thing I'm forgetting. For uh, your eye can't come down, these seven nerves help to cl close your eye, so at nighttime you're supposed to patch the eye. But uh, the whole thing's also, it's the whole face. Because remember the seventh nerve decusates and crosstalks. Okay. Uh, what we're getting at next though is here in the, in, on the west coast, we don't see much Lyme. But on the east coast, supposedly Lyme is very common. And 
it's basically neuroline. So if you have a bilateral bell of palsy, and I'm not sure if you all just face just droops or whatnot, but uh, if you have bilateral bell of palsy, it's, it's classic for Lyme. Too smart. All right, so hemorrhagic vessels and pustules on an feminist base. Typically, this is going to be an older patient who has had chickenpox at some point. With the vaccine now, we're not sure if it's going to change as time goes on, but it basically goes into your nerve root, reactivates, basically you treat. And if it's over... Exactly. Some of these are so basic, but these are the gimme questions. Just move on. Multiple dermatomal, you might want to think that they're immune compromised. Although, if you're immune competent, you can actually have two dermatomes involved, and it's not a weird thing. I used to think that more, more than one equal badness, you can have up, up to two. All right. Can I give? 57 year old with a history of diverticulitis. They're giving you a big hint by saying that you need to think about what happens when you have ticks. Diverticulitis is also called ticks, sorry. No, people call it ticks all the time, sorry. Good. With diverticulitis, they get microperfs or you know, big perfs. So perfs equals free air. If you look at this under the diaphragm right there. This one, again, is a weird one they just like to test a lot. Max, let's go for this one. So, past medical history is high blood pressure, no med changes for over a year. Uh, do steroids work? They don't. Brady kind of induced, although we all would do it. Someone's like, so you're going to do it it's because of the kitchen sink you'll throw. But C1 asterisk might work in theory to help with this. For hereditary angioedema, it does. But really, it's going to be symptomatic meds, wait for it to wear off. Uh, if you had to intubate her, you might want to consider a nasal trach tracheal, either fiber op optically. And warn them to stay away from all prills. As I think it was, I was an R2 at the time. A patient who had had this from one of the prills and now a prill. Her doctor, not being too bright, put on another prill. <laughs> so Monique DeVoe got to intubate her the first time, I got to do it the second time. Now, I understand this is more of a commonly unilateral presentation. Four or five I've seen with this has always been big tongue, swollen, equal. Have not seen it one side. Faculty? I've seen it more on one side than another, but never exclusively unilateral. Okay. Every picture I've seen has always been both sides. There's a big old tongue, but. Yeah, Dr. Chan Wan, I believe, saw it a lot in Chicago. They have a large African American. Yeah, they do. So she would know more than us. Because we don't have, our African-American population is obviously quite small, so. And actually, uh, every patient I've seen with this has been of African descent. Mm -hmm. I saw that one person. 
And also the ARBs can also ca cause it, but not, but not as much. This is one of those that you ask dental folks, they laugh at us for knowing this classifications, but yet they always like us on the test. So, what do you think this is? That's the nerve of the tooth hanging out. I don't know, teeth really gross me out. Okay, <laughs> smile when you say that. All right, teeth. They are important for us to chew. Yes, this is a tooth fracture. There is something called the Ellis classification, which I'll just show you it. Ellis, no one uses it besides our tests. So if you speak to someone who is a dental person, they may laugh at you, but this is how we describe them anyways. Different layers of the tooth. Enamel, that's a show lack on the surface that protects the tooth. Then den dentin is the gray part. And then you get into more the pulp, the ye yellow slash blood part. Where you sh <coughs> cleave it makes a difference. Enamel only, no big deal. Goes home, dentist can go buff it out. Den dentin, higher chance for infection, they'd still go home. Really, the dentin, dental follow-up, they might try to fix it. But really, it's when you have an LS3 that you have pulp exposed, painful, Nerve root exposed, painful. They need to be see a dentist ASAP. They still get discharged. They still get discharged, yes. Because uh, unfortunately, our dental care in here is pretty poor. Well, that's actually temporizes. You basically have the dental kit we've got, you know, basically you cover up the nerve. Because the real therapy for this is they're, they're screwed. It's a root, can, root canal at this point. All right, bonus prize. Four-year-old kid falls down, knocks out his front teeth. Should you replace the tooth? If so, why? If not, why not? It's a primary tooth, and you can cause ankylosis. Basically, it can fuse and disrupt the second dairy teeth. So, bottom line, primary teeth you don't replace. Secondary teeth, you do. Secondary teeth, your adult teeth, if it comes out, what do you do? Or how do you instruct the patient to do with it? Do you, A, wash off the base, scrub the base real well to make sure it's clean? B, take some saline and kind of gingerly squirt it off and put it into some milk? Or C, do something else stupid? <laughs> yeah, it's going to be B, basically just you saline irrigate the base, just get off and eat like gross crud. Milk? is what you know you mostly have if you have Hank stuff around this Hank solution which no one's gonna have at home. So really it's a But even better is keep it in your mouth. Oh, I say mom's mouth, especially for kids. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah. Or stick it in the socket, keep it in your mouth and then go see the dentist. Now whether somebody will be able to keep it there is the issue. Yeah. Don't swallow the tooth. <laughs> What resins are hiding out back there? Okay, one. This one we see occasionally here. They do like this on the test, though. Working at a factory, so this is not a home, this is a factory injury, you think industrial chemicals. A little bit of fluid to remove rust was spilled on her finger yesterday. Now she comes in for excruciating pain. 
what's this and what do you do? Rust remover. The keys are going to be rust remover, glass etching. Um, Jeff, what are some more of the industrial uses? That come on, glass etching, rust remover, bicyclists. Chips. Oh, yeah, sorry, microchip stuff. Yeah. Okay. Anything? This is the acid that functions like a base. So also when you get into the acid and bases, you're going to hear the terms liquefactive necrosis or coagulative necrosis. Coagulative, like it sounds, it forms kind of like a shell and won't keep starting to burn. That's what most acids do. Liquefactive necrosis keeps burning deep. That's what bases do. Well, this is the one acid that's weird. It's this hydrofluoric acid, HF. HF binds your calcium and sucks it up. And actually, you can have, you have more than a 50% concentration of the stuff on more than a 1% burn, you can die. Because what it does is basically makes profound hypocalcemia. So with that being said, what is the therapy for this? Your, your calcium drops, so what do you want to give? Calcium up. So you want to give actually intra-arterial calcium. So hydrofluoric acid, glass etching, liquefactive necrosis are the key words for this. There, there's Some people, when you're buying yourself time, they'll use a calcium gluconate gel in the skin as it may help, but really it's going to be either in, if there's enough skin around there, you can inject lo locally around the thing, but most of the time it's in the hands, so you really can't inject a lot. So it's actually interarticular. Arterial calcium to go down to go down to go downstream. The low concentration stuff. You still might run into this. I don't know if they still sell wink under the counter, uh, or if they're going to change the formulation so it's not dilute IHF anymore. But wink used to be this really cool rust remover, and kids, especially children, would always have these sparkly things on their shoes, and they get rusted out over time. And so uh, the parent would put the shoes in the laundry, throw in a little wink, and the thing came out looking spotless. All the rust off of the brick. They put the shoes on, and about a day or two later, they come in with complaints. That concentration was low enough that calcium glucanate gel would oftentimes be sufficient to treat it. But any any kind of industrial concentration is going to be much higher than that, and, and calcium glucanate gel is probably going to be insufficient. And there should be some in the ED at triage, and there isn't. <laughs> and it's ridiculous that we're a burden center. <laughs> All right, I think we're back around the cycle. We've run the gamut again. 35-year-old male. male, looks well, comes in for these. What do you see here? So there's bulla. Large bulla, good. And some of them are ruptured. Mm-hmm. Flaccid, yeah. Pemphigoid. The bullous pemphigoid is the not bad one. It's oids like pemphigoid. It's actually not that benign. It's a benign disease. It's got big bullae that rupture flaccid, but it really doesn't go down that deep. Now, this is going to be in younger pa patients. We're going to compare that to this case here. Do you know this is your next one? Older patient may have a history of cancer, more ill. This also involves a mouth.
deeper erosion, deeper down, dirt, dermis gets involved. Yeah, this is Pemphigus vulgaris. Vulgaris, as an R1, I didn't know what it meant to. A vulgar meaning it's, I thought it was just like bad. No, vulgar, vulgaris means co common. Yeah, so, sorry. Everything I teach you guys is because I screwed up myself, all right? Always remember that. So, fine. This is a deeper one, bad. It really is the epidermis gets hit in our old folks. The epidermis dermal junction. Okay. Rod, anyone you know altered, throwing up, um, on hemodialysis, heparin was used for that, high blood pressure history, blood pressure is like 295 over 155 or something like that. Comes in with this EKG. What do you think? Rush them off to cath lab. Um, call their insurance broker. Get them to cat scan. To scan their head. What do you think? Good. You're seeing what we're seeing here. So you've got diffuse, symmetrical T waves, and there's a lot all over. You know, well, that's a lot. There, there should appear too. So deep, symmetrical, diffuse T T waves. All right, these are called basically intracranial T waves, basically from intracranial hemorrhage. I don't know why it happens, but you get these diffuse flip T, T waves. Carl, Jeff, M M Megan, any idea why? I've never been been a, been a, been been able to find out why. Um, if it involves the insulin, okay. Do they know why though? I've never been able to find out why every time we talk about this one, we always go, huh, no one knows, and we move on. But, the all right. Okay. Yeah. Calm enough that, that, that this has been on the insert service before. All right, Pam. Uh, last night, hand hurts. I guess. Perfectly done. So Pam brings up the two things I was going to go to was you hear from the question stem. One thing when you take the test back in the old days when you used to have the, t have the test books. Plus you do for the in service, but for the real thing you don't. But I was got in the habit of covering the picture first. About half the time from the stem alone, you can usually guess they want to get to. And if you see the picture and it's there, you go, boom, I'm right, and move on. Don't even think. But on this one, drunk guy last night, hand pain. It's going to be probably one of two things. Either a fight bite, clenched fist. You punch in the mouth, hit the tooth, inoculates the, the joint. Remember, on the extensor surface, there are no flexor sheaths or extensor sheaths. But it's going to be basically in the joint capsule. May look very benign. You'd ask them carefully. Did you do it? Did you do it? No, no, no. Uh, we had a patient in bed four who came in, visit one. They didn't do, get a good history. I saw him on visit two, and he had to have a fake joint because basically it was a, f a fight bite. Other things can be is 
And you'll have them look down at your hands to make sure you have no rotational def deformity for, for this one. So you look at the hands, there's no rotational deformity when you look. Angulation's okay. Rot rotation's not. So what does this look like, Pam? Yeah, this is a fifth metacarpal fracture here. 45 degrees is okay for the fifth, and then it goes down from there, although the Brits and the Europeans actually let you almost have whatever you want. They put them into a splint, and they do fine. For us, we reduce if it's more than 45 degrees of angulation. Rotation, not good. One, we jump to you. You involved in that case, me, right? I, I, thought, I thought it was, I definitely had a medical student that I pulled. This is one that I walked in the room. This is one that I had a week ago, two weeks ago, something like that. Yeah, okay, fine. Do you, do you want to go for it? Fine. This is a, so the story was, this is actually how it is. He's in room 20 or 21. He spent a guy with his friend. It had been three days of worsening pain on his finger. I walked in the room and the chart read, laceration to fingertip. I go in there and see a circular red mark or a circular cut on his finger. He had a few paint flecks on his hand. I immediately walked out, found a medical student, said, this is your case, go see it now, and proceeded to call hand. What, what is it, Max? Injected into yes, this is a high-pressure injection injury. Small little red dot was all that you saw. On the test, it may also say, patient was seen by a PA. They see in the bag on PAs a lot. <laughs> Sorry, they do. They will say, PA saw a patient, gave him Catholic, sent them home. My guy was basically three days getting worse pain. And what this does is it basically, you shoot all that crud down your hand. My guy got lucky because the x-ray should have brought it here. Only had basically his finger was involved. But these actually can go down the whole sheath, you know, really get the whole hand. They do poorly. Because when you look at them, you get all this crud that basically injects down there, and they don't do well. My guy actually they do this little Z thing. They cut it open, all they fillet the hand open, get all the crud out there, and clean it all out. And, yeah. I have a kind of unrelated question. Do PAs always have to present every patient like a resident does? Funny, I just talked about this about an hour before we got here. As we're talking about the e EMR and different rights and all, I had to learn a lot about scope of practice stuff. Back when I first started out, I'd have a PA, I had to be from the state, a PA permit to supervise them. Then as time moves on, they no longer have that. PAs now need to run, they need to have a supervising physician that they can run a case by, but it's very loose. And they're supposed to have, I believe it's 10% of their cases reviewed. Darn right. That's why if you work at a place where you have PAs, and a lot of places, they will also, for billing reasons, have you sign off on their charts because you can bill more if you supervise them. But a lot of this stuff is kind of not real time. It's kind of like offline stuff where it's they will get you if there's something wrong, but it's implied if they don't get you, it's fine. But yes. Yeah, because that could totally be like, oh, hey, I just saw this fingertip last week. No big deal. Okay. Well, that, I mean, that happens with residents, too. Uh -huh. You always see every patient. Yeah. Right? And every patient is presented to you. True. Okay. Every patient's presented to you, yeah. as opposed to a PA that doesn't run everything. And this, you're right. In this case, there's residency programs where you don't consider that kind of thing. Really? That's surprising. <laughs> it's a legal if they do, but some other place. Well, actually, if you work at a, there. If you don't bill. 
Yes, yeah, I was about to say, if you don't bill. So if you are, and there's actually, this is where it gets dicier. If you were a federal program like the FQHC, once they're family practice for six months, they can actually render care and not have to have them super, supervise the case. They, they hear the case, they don't have to see the patient. VA system, I believe, is something like that. So there's actually some weird things where county systems, too, they actually don't make them see them because, again, they don't bill for it in a sense. So there are certain places where, as an R1, they probably see all the cases, but in R3, they use them as a PA. You don't have to go back very many years, although it is a couple of decades, until you get to the point where, at a teaching hospital, the attendings were kind of irrelevant to patient care. Sound pretty, pretty, pretty nice to me. Starting here, um, <laughs> in 1983, we had attending supervision from 8 a.m. to midnight. And at midnight, all the attendings went home, and the residents ran the ED from midnight to 8 a.m. Wow. Awesome. And, and I remember, I can physically, uh, I, can, I can remember it was in 1986 when we first decided to cover the emergency department 24-7. That was under consultant. It was shocking. And that's that was, that was like, <laughs> hardly anybody was doing that. And then you had a period of time where the faculty would be there, but they'd be asleep in the back, and you know, then you should do that, and yeah. Yeah. Which, of course, they never did. Of course. So, I don't know what it's like here now, but when I was doing internal medicine as a student at Harbor UCLA, we sat in the attendant's office and told them about the patients. Never did you touch your skin with patients. Times change. All right. Who is up next? I jumped around. Erica. So African-American male, no trauma. There's a couple hints here, or a couple things here. Um, he's got a big hole in his iris. <laughs> okay. They used to do surgical iridectomy. He's also got a hyphema. Good job. So layering out blood. Like he's a, has a little like conjunctival injection, but maybe that's what You've hit the key things. So, keywords, they hear African American. What's the, there's something called biz buzz. Before the next insert, make sure I give it to you. I've got this list of kind of biz buzz. When you hear a certain phrase, you need to think about this thing like bulging fissure, you know, <laughs> sickle cell, boom. So, sickle cell, they get this because basically they bleed. Yeah. Sarcoid 2, you're right. Sarcoid 2. Sickle cell, exactly. Sickle cell, boom. And it depends on how much you have. How do you treat this, or what do you do? This is more of an I3. So, Pam. So, this one you wouldn't really do anything about. So, this is like 10 to 15%. And so, I think it's like a level one or class one. Yeah, exactly. April high female, here the term is the whole eye's blood. Depending on how much is there, depends on what you can do with them. This, as Pam points out, is small. You can get posterior synechiae, sen, sen, I'm messing that up, but basically the canals of Schlem get clogged. So you want to have them upright, don't have them throw up or else they can re-bleed again, and you want to basically minimize the amount of those canals that get clogged. Because if so, they can get glaucoma, acute angle glaucoma. That's why they have this iridectomy done. Because they probably either had it before or they were afraid they were going to. Now they do la lasers for it. Okay. Kenny Kim, five-year-old boy presents with joint pain, belly pain, arthritis. 
some GI ble bleeding, and some of these raised red bumps. Is it fever too? No. Uh, they might, but this is usually. He has purpura. P. Good. Henoch Schoenlein purpura has that O-Lau there and the Henoch Schoenlein. This is get a grip. So, abdominal pain. Pretty much they all get this. GI bleeding. Renal. IGA, who cares about that one. Arthritis and purpura. Almost all of them have it. Therapy is roids. <laughs> Max, I swear I didn't do this on purpose so I would land with you, but one of your peeps. <laughs> they like this one and also the other one that will come out here. This is not a Wellen sign. The Wellen sign will also be usually V1, V2, where you're going to have. That shows a critical LED lesion. Make sure you look at that one, too. This is the other one. This is Asian younger drop dead. Brugada, exactly. This used to be kind of, people didn't know about this one. And then the Brugada brothers, who were like from South America, these cardiology guys brought this up. That's what it's called this. They get, there's actually different forms of it, but this is the most common one where in usually V1 and V2, even to V3, you get this biphasic T, T wave there, and it actually has like an, a right bundle branch look, look to it too. What's the therapy? Correct, it's an AICD because they can drop dead. Alrighty. Is this the flexor tensor synovitis? Flexor tensor has four findings that are have the eponym cannibal. Do you, do you know what those are? The cannibal signs? All right, so sausage digit, held in flexion, pain on passive extension, and pain along the sheath when you touch. Actually, distal to wool where it's at. Because remember, you got these sheaths on the flexor side. And again, there are no such things as extensor tenosynovitis does not, does, does not exist. All right, Ron. Perfect. Um, what is this clothium mistaken for? What can, where can you get back on this one? What's that? Actually, it's, this is a bad picture for it, but you might get fooled if it's on basically the pulp. You might think it's an abscess there, a fel felon, bless you, where the felon, you open these up. This one, you don't want to open up. That's the one thing they may have you confused. In real practice, I've never been confused, but I know what this is when I see it, but that's a classic test thing for some reason. They want you to know that a felon, you know, you cut that open fish mouth, and somebody cut your finger. This one, you don't cut. Do you know? So is this a kid or an adult? You tell me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. 
Perfectly done. All right, good. Some of these images are crappy, but that's good because I keep them in here because you need to kind of know what to look for. So, on a lateral elbow, you can tell it's a kid because the girl plates are infused. Figure of eight in here, anterior capital line. The radio capital line basically are supposed to bisect the capitellum there. Also, of note, you've got a fat pad that bows out. Anterior fat pad, you can see a slight one. That's okay. This is more of a sale sign. It looks like a big sale. Posterior fat pad, you should not see. And this kid's got, got one here. So, supracondylar fracture. Now, if this was an adult, our one question. This was an adult. What kind of fracture would, would this be? Hmm? Radial head fracture, yes. Nice little one. Uh, th therapy, non-displaced. It's actually early range of motion. This is one of those like the clavicle fractures where if it's not really displaced, if it's markedly displaced, they'll do different things. But it's not not displaced. They actually early range of motion these. <coughs> This was actually on my research. I'm not supposed to talk about what I saw on the test, but tough. <laughs> um, this they love. They will love this and the variant of this one. So Rod, 27-year-old male, fell down while being drunk. Typically all the men are drunk and they fall down, but this guy fooshed. Uh, I want to tr try again. So what you're seeing is you want to get your C's. C, C, this C's over here. This C should be here. So is the lunate bone in place or not? All right, nice try. It was the other one. Hairy lunate dislocation. So the lunate bone, the C is here. This is actually in place. So if it was a lunate dis dislocation, it would look like this. The C would be turned. So this, the lunate lines up. So this is a lun lunate is in place. So it's a peri-lunate dislocation. These are harder to see on the x-ray than a lunate dislocation where you see the, the spilled cup it turns over. Which nerve is most commonly injured with this? Yeah. yeah right, this one was kind of dumb, but fine. This, exactly. This is just showing you it's an orbital, or, usually floor fracture and entrapment. Erica, a man fell again while he jumped off a bar stool again, involving booze, barroom brawl. Uh, okay, so there's all these, where they, where they what are we looking at first? <laughs> so, so some of these are not the great, greatest pictures, but they work. Uh, I mean, what are you asking? What part of the... 
body. Elbow? Okay, good. I mean, it's that basic. I'm going to go there. Be, it looks kind of weird here. Fine. Elbow fracture, yes. And now what bone appears to be, be to be broken? I think he's got a dislocation and a fracture. Is that right? So... You're getting there. So he's got um, a like, radial dislocation and then an ulnar fracture. Uh-huh. So and we're... And the magic combination of Italian guys is either like a Montagia or... Galeazzi, and I think it's a Montagia. By the way, you're nodding your head. Mugger. Oh. M-U-G-R. This is probably the stupidest thing of all these <laughs> test questions, because how is this clinically useful? I've got no clue. But they seem to like this, and they do it. And I don't know why, but Montagia and Galeazzi fractures. It is either going to be an ulnar fracture with the radial dislocation or the opposite one, basically. And it goes by what's, what is broken. Not Tyler Reynard. Oh, hello there. Welcome. That Scruffy's all, as all, as always good. <laughs> so this is a ulnar fracture with a radial dislocation. Radial ulnar dislocation down here. So this is a mon Montasia fracture. Can I come? Nicely done by, done by the way. So, what do you have here? Uh, probably gonorrhea. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> After Dr. Boysen's talk, it's very close. And actually, with a big pussing eye out like that, that's actually not a bad thought. I mean, classic stories are basically, just, it just keeps pussing out. But you are involved, it is the eye. The eye has an infection. So what do you have? Is this a periorbital or, or orbital infection? Or also called sept preceptal or post -sept septal? Uh, I mean, orbital cellulitis is more... Good. Yeah. So this is be between a periorbital versus orbital cellulitis where you've got the redness on the eye there. Really, it comes down to, or is there pain on extraocular move movement? Basically, is it just on the skin, preceptal or postceptal behind it? Is it basically involved in the or orbit? So in this case, it was basically just on the surface itself. Okay. Max slipped, fell, stretched hand. They both agree it's a fracture, but what is this type of fracture? What's the eponym for it? Well, what do you have bro radial, broken first? Uh, radial head's down here. I'm sorry. Uh, radial tail. Radial foot. Radial foot. Whatever. Radial foot. <laughs> Fine. Distal radius fracture. Common with ulnar styloid fracture associated with it too. So this could be possibly a Collie's fracture, which is what the radiologist thought it was. And of course, the ED doc was right, so he called it something else. It's the reverse cause fracture called Smith's, just the eponym for it. And this is classically, if it was going to be a cause fracture, you, know, you fall down, the distal se segment is posterior, basically dorsally dor 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 pushed. This is volatilly pushed up, 
so it's more toward the palm. And this is called a Smith's. Dr. Boysen. Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so one, we'll go, we'll go to you. Oh. Okay. Well, there was a, Yeah, say before it was jump, we don't have enough here to say. Exactly. So we don't know. This looking, I think this one is more shankward like, but yeah, this was actually the key is it's not painful. From the source I got, this says, and notice holding without gloves. Hopefully he's like hold 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 himself. But um, this is where the source I got this from. Both these were actually syphilis. But to be fair, they would have to give you the painful or pain painless option. Okay. So who do we lead off with? I think I jumped. More we already hit. I always come back around. So this is a classic one. So Ty, Tyler decides to go and go snowboarding, like he always likes to do. Goes and snowboards, looks so cool. Says, "I'm not going to wear my shades. I'm too cool for shades. I'm going to go out there and you know ski the whole day." And comes down the mountain, and that night starts to cry like a little, small little girl. That uh, is eye pain. Kara. Yes. Classically, this will be a welder who does not have his cobalt blue lens to shield his eyes. It'll be someone who is surfing, Tyler again, who the sun basically just hits the water and hits the eyes, or they ski. But this is basically the UV rays hit the eye. When you do this under a slit lamp, you'll see a bunch of punctate spots. Therapy is cycloplegic aging, because you get ciliary spasm that hurts real, real badly. And usually it heals up by itself. Do a, do a couple more. All right. Here's up next. What is it to you again? Yeah. My foot hurts. I like ball. I like ballet. Some of these question stems are pretty are pretty painful because I you know, made them up. Yeah. All right, so what you're seeing here, base of the fifth fracture. This is a metatarsal fracture. And the question is, where is it broken and what do you do? A lot of people agree. Very chip fracture is a pseudo-Jones fracture, also called a dancer's fracture. Then you can have up here, that's going to be, it's called a Jones fracture. It's kind of like a, not truly really a shaft fracture, but almost up to the shaft. And then you can get a lot of debate, depending on where it's exactly at in between. They're going to show you this on the test. It's going to be either a small little chip, or it's going to be way up here. The reason why it's important is a dancer's fracture. They used to think was the peroneus brevis rips off a small chunk, and therapy is a hard slow, hard slow shoe. A Jones fracture is non-weight bearing for six weeks, and it may and it may, may and it may not fuse back. That's why it's a big deal. So Jones versus a pseudo-Jones and or a dancer's fracture. I almost want to go back to, uh, who was it? Kenny. Yes. Since you got the other one, you wanted to go with the GC route again. This one actually probably is GC. Uh, 
<laughs> Could be linked. What do you see here? Doesn't look normal. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually white cells la layering out. This is a hypopion. It is white cells, usually indicates one or two things. Either they've had a ruptured globe, they've perfed, or end optima light, light, lightest, which GC is a, big, is a big one for it. So, actually, I had a case of this last week, which actually turned out to probably not be this, but we saw it said, uh-oh, needs bright lights and cold steel. This is going to be neck fash. Uh, it'll be a somewhat diabetic patient, rapidly growing infection. You go, well, when is it just a skin infection or deeper? Dr. Boris and I, I got him. I, this patient walked in. She actually was kind of bizarre, but she had a big old boule, too, almost like a pressure boule there necrosis of the skin, and it was pain out of proportion to the exam, too. Pain on passive ex exten extension you'll have, too, although when it gets later, the nerves are dead. This is a needs to go to the OR and be cut open. And we're going to end on this one, I think. So, Pam, I guess we'll end with you. <laughs> Well, what do we see here? Do we see things that look like ferns, or is it smooth? I guess it looks smooth. So these are little smooth things. This is condyloma lata. Yeah, that's this is this is basically secondary syphilis. And those trep trepanines are jumping off, so make sure you don't touch it with your n naked hands. <laughs>